Jeff, it is Black Friday. How was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was good. It was a little different. Um, you know, we didn't go like full crazy COVID and and not have Thanksgiving, but we kept it just my parents, my sister. So it was a little quiet, but it was good. How was yours? It was good. We didn't have, uh, you know, it was just me and uh, just me and my wife and kids. So we just had it very small. I ended up I kind of got a little bit of a rant on this actually after I posted the picture of what I ate I, that I'm going to go on record and say that ribs are probably the most overrated barbecue item. This is a hot take. It is a hot take, but really like if you're just talking about the, the return on your investment on a rack of ribs is very low, right? Like it's, you know, you got it by the time you get them, it's kind of, you know, it's longer, a little bit longer to prep. If you got to, you know, you got to strip the membrane off and then get it down. If you, you know, I like to dry brine things. So I got to salt it first and then let's see, then get it rubbing then get things going. And then you got to throw it in, you cook it for five, six hours, anywhere between five and seven hours. If you're doing a rack of St. Louis ribs or spare ribs and they, you know, you're looking, so say a six hour cook and then literally half of a rib like half of the weight of a rib is on a is bone so if yeah. you're buying so you know you see them on sale at being like oh they're on sale for 2.99 a pound it's really like paying six dollars a pound for pork shoulder so the price of per pound of actual meat is lower than pretty much every other cut of pork there's a lot of work to do it's kind of a pain like i'm trying to get this ready to you know feed to my two-year-old so i got to strip it off the bone and like cut it up but then it's like then you got the pieces of cartilage in there just like kind of not fun and so it's just a lot of work with very little payoff it's not like you know the quality of like oh my gosh rib meat it's not like you're eating the filet mignon of a pig right like it's not like the meat is spectacular compared to other you know cuts of pork so it did you wrap the ribs hell no no we don't do that here that is right. not no something. we don't so that that will be my only disagreement with you i actually do agree that the, the the roi is a pain and it may not be worth it and it's certainly tough to like cook for children but outside of the prep work throw it in the smoker if you're not wrapping your ribs right you throw it in the smoker and you come back in five or six hours it's not that big of a deal it's true it was kind of windy and so i was having a lot mm. of temp swings i was having to monitor it quite a bit and yeah, so okay that kind of added to it because the wind was kind of like it was swirling and so it was going it was going through my like it was going through my intake shooting up and then going and then the wind cut the other direction so then my air flew okay. all the way down so it was kind of annoying um but it just yeah it's like people I, I mean, it's like, I like ribs, but it's like, to me, it's like, I will, oh, I will I, say this. I like ribs prepared for me better than I like to cook my own ribs. Yes. And I think ribs are the only barbecue, anything that I can say that, that about. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of it too is because I don't almost like, don't like ribs just as like a, as a meal, right? Like it's like, I almost prefer to like, oh, give me some give brisket, me some chicken, and then like two, give me two bones on the side. That like okay. to me okay. is better than oh I'm gonna eat a full rack of ribs by myself. I like ribs, I really do. Uh, they're one of my favorite foods, but I'm with you in terms of like there isn't a ton of meat. Like it's it is six six hours worth of effort uh, to really not get full, right? Like you can't just have ribs. I can do six hours worth of really anything else, and you get 
full. Now, the one thing I will say, though, right, like you've got ribs. Is it the same argument from you on like wings? Because while they go faster, it's the same thing. Like it's a ton of prep work, like to cut all your wings to, you know, get the, the flats and the drumettes to season. It goes a little faster, but it's still kind of that same thing. And then you got a bunch of bone. Is it the same or do you think it's different? I mean, if you buy your wings already separated, then the work is like two seconds because you're just tossing it, shaking it, throwing them on the grill, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not. So I think wings go a lot faster and I like wings, but even a lot of times I'll just do drumsticks. Like you can find drumsticks sometimes like 75, 75 cents a pound and I'll just like, you know, throw them in a marinade or, t- you know, toss them and just get them on with the vortex and cook those things up nice. And you get, uh-huh. you can churn out some drumsticks in 30 minutes, right? Like, and it's, it's true. So it's just okay. the rib is not yeah, Like it's a rib versus a wing. I'm not like, Oh my gosh, a rib is a million times better that it's worth all this extra work. Okay. So it's, I, that is my, that's our kitchen rant for the day. Um, and, but it is black Friday. We do have 75% off Cougar Sports Insider. So that's just go onto the website. No promo code needed. That is site-wide on 24-7. That gives you 26 bucks for the entire year. And that will get you all of the, pretty much all of the insider information. All of the things that we share, that we hear are on our message board and or in a VIP article that when Jeff posts a cryptic tweet with a GIF on it, you don't have to, you know, and people are replying and say, or DMing you trying to say, okay, what does this mean? What's going on? Oh, it's all the time. Pay the 26 bucks and you'll know. Well, yeah. I mean, that really is it, dude. It's, I don't, you know, I appreciate all of our, our listeners, the subscribers over at 24 seven sports. Everybody is great. But those of you who are constantly, uh, constantly, I'm not going to say badgering because that seems harsh. But badgering is the correct verb. Those of you who are badgering me for information when I tweet something or even when I don't, you know, when you're just randomly hopping into my DMs and saying, hey, what's going on with Jackson Dart? Like, dude, $26 right now will get you access to everything in my brain for an entire year. And we have our weekly VIP chats that you literally can ask me anything. And one of us will answer it, whether it be you or me, Mitch Harper chimes in, like we, we will get your question answered as best as we are capable of answering it at that time. $26, that's $2.24 a month. Everybody can spare $2.24 a month. So please join us over at Cougar Sports Insider. The sale runs through the end of the month. So if you need to take some time for whatever reason, then by the end of the month, uh, go ahead and jump on board. We also have a sale over on our Give Em Hell store. Uh, 10% off because BYU should be ranked number 10. Uh, we're sorry that we couldn't give you 20% off. I know that's a better deal, but blame BYU for that, not us. Like If BYU should appropriately be ranked number 20, then we would have done a 20% deal. It's not our fault that they're 9-0. and It's their fault. So 10% off at the Give Em Hell Brigham store with code CFPCABAL. And we're going to talk about the cabal a lot here later on. Um, I got in a really weird spot earlier this week, and I, it was weird. And we're going to talk about it. But 
for yeah. now you can get to the get to the store cfp cabal that's cfp c-a-b-a-l give you 10 percent off anything at the store yes and if you forget that one our promo code hellion is still also working as well for 10 percent off um so if that's easier for you to spell than cfp cabal or you which do it's not, not we both went i think we wrote an article about our hellion of the week we, and we both the, spelled it wrong. We put it in the podcast notes. It was in the title. We put it yeah. in the article. We had to make lots of changes. We did. Hellion is spelled with an O, not an A. And I was 31 years old when I learned that. I was 29. And that is, you know, it, I, we got it fixed and it was corrected. But yeah, so H-E-L-L-I-O-N or CFP Cabal. Either one will get you 10% off uh, at the Give Em Hell Brigham store which is now featuring our Why Anon, We Are Why Anon shirt that is horribly majestic. That's the only way I can describe it. <laughs> it is. It's such a, we got to give a huge shout out to Nate Slack for the design. And look, guys, like the design, if you're expecting this to be like a world-class, we went and paid hundreds of dollars for a design. You're like, no, but that's what makes this shirt great. The Why Anon I don't know. Do we need to talk about QAnon before we talk about YAnon? I feel like we do. If you're not familiar with QAnon, we can send you to a series of YouTube videos that you'll need to invest, I don't know, a few hours to really get the whole feel of the QAnon. But we can send you to a series of YouTube videos that will give you an idea of what it is. But essentially, it's a conspiracy theory. It tends to align with, they, they say it's a right-wing conspiracy theory. I don't know that it's as much a right-wing thing is as much as it is a pro-Trump and an anti-pedophile conspiracy theory. But at a very high level, pretty well everybody who has been involved with the government, the Clintons, uh, anybody who has ever – Like you know, Jeffrey been, Epstein. Yeah, anybody who's ever been affiliated with it's Epstein. Like related to Pizzagate, if you know what that is. <laughs> George Soros is somehow funding all of this stuff. It's a little bit crazy. There are some things that I'm not going to lie. There are some things that I hear and I go, huh, <laughs> it makes you wonder a little bit. But then there's other stuff that's just crazy out there. Anyway, they're the QAnon, and they have a saying that's where we go one, we go all. And apparently there's this man named Q – who is just dropping hints. And it's not a man, I guess. It's a collective. I don't know what it is. There's somebody, an entity named Q that is dropping hints on random things like 4chan or 8chan, which I think is now commonly becoming parlor. It's just the same thing now. Know. And so anyway, in like random places, you're, you're getting hints from Q and he's trying to expose the deep state shadow government, a.k.a. the cabal. Well, we have sources as well, as all BYU fans know. There is a deep state shadow government that has been keeping BYU out of the college football playoff for years. And really, we it should goes back to 1984. It does. Since 1985, there has been a deep state shadow government that has been keeping BYU away from access to more notoriety. I believe it's probably the what well, we're calling it the CFP cabal because that's the latest rendition, but we could go with the Bull Alliance cabal. We could go with the BCS cabal. Now it's the CFP cabal. All of this is designed with the sole intent of keeping BYU out of whatever it is that would gain national notoriety. 
That is why BYU can't get into the Big 12. That's why the Pac-12 looked, you know, looked away and decided to go for Colorado instead of BYU to pair with Utah. It's the deep state shadow that, government. And it, that we, happened the other way, though. They invited Colorado and were like, oh, crap, we need someone with Colorado. <laughs> well, Better whatever it was. <laughs> but yes. Whatever it was. If you missed it, it's all over Twitter. My Twitter's been going nuts all week. I got my tinfoil hat on. I looked a little Alex Jones. I got my, my tinfoil hat on this week. And I'm starting to go public. And I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know who's going to come knocking on my door. I know that I'm probably more at risk today than I ever have been now that I am bringing, bringing notoriety, bringing publicity to this, this shadow government. But it has to be done. So we are, and what we're learning is when I first came public, when I first went public with this, and I talked about Gary Barta, he's the chairperson of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. All I did was mention that Gary Barta went, was the AD at Wyoming, and that obviously anybody who was an athletic director at Wyoming has a little bit of ill feelings towards, uh, towards BYU. Well, it wasn't. 10 minutes after I tweeted something out about Gary Barta that I started to have people, this is, this isn't even a lie. This is not embellishment. This is not, this is not me just, you know, em embellishing the story or making things up. I started to have people that were sending me direct messages. I had emails. I had people texting me random things about everybody. And it, it's a joke, right? Like, obviously this is all a joke guys. Come on. But there's some things that are a little bit compelling, kind of like the QAnon. People started sending me information about everybody. So this week, I put my tinfoil hat on, and we're, we're, we're exposing them. We are exposing the CFP cabal. And it is, I mean, there are multiple things. So obviously, Gary Barta, which some of it is just the most ridiculous thing about the CFP rankings is that, you know, Gary Barta gets on and says, well, we were looking at things, and... BYU has only played three teams with a 500 and better record, and Cincinnati is 4-0 and against teams with a 500 and better or better record. And Cincinnati is in the top 20 in both scoring defense and scoring offense. So, you know, that is why Cincinnati deserves to be ranked. Well, fact-checked, Brother Barta, uh, BYU and Cincinnati are both 5-0 and against teams with a 500 or better record, and BYU is in the top 10 in scoring offense, scoring defense, total offense, and total defense, and is the only school in the country in the top 10 in all four categories. So I think there is some, you know, there is some conspiracy things like Tom Berman, the current athletic director at Wyoming. He's obviously everyone who goes to Laramie hates, y hates BYU, and he's still pissed that in 2017 uh, or 2018, ra rather, uh, BYU got to go to the Idaho Potato Bowl and a bowl eligible Wyoming team got left at home because nobody cares and, about the Mountain West. And he and, would have been the he would have been the athletic director at Wyoming when this was getting like when independence was getting started, when BYU was leaving the Mountain West Conference. And he was also all, the he was the athletic director there when BYU beat and Max Hall beat Wyoming in back to back years. Like one year it was 44 to 0 in 2008, and then it was 52 to 0 in Laramie in 2009. Right. Yep. So you know, 96 to zero in back to back years. He, Tom, old Tommy ain't happy about that. No, that's not good. That isn't good. RC Slocum is on the college football playoff committee, old Texas A&M uh, head coach. He's the only coach that I've ever seen 
that has not shaken Lavelle Edwards' hand after the after the game. After the 1996 Cotton Bowl, when BYU beat, I guess it was 97, but the 96 Cotton Bowl, when BYU beat Texas A&M, Slocum did not shake Lavelle's hand. I mean, I Why? think it's Lavelle Edwards. He's a national treasure. I mean, I think Ronnie Lott has to be very upset that he was torched for years by Steve Young in practice every day. Probably still well, that Tom Homo, you know, Tom Homo sharing of the, his mustache. Uh, yeah, I uh, agree. I mean, honestly, the, the, the BCS. So let's think about back to the BCS. Think of 2008 when Orrin Hatch threatened a lawsuit in order to get Utah into the BCS. And the same group, now they invited Utah, which could be part of the conspiracy, but the same group that had been on the receiving end of threats of a lawsuit, they broke off of the BCS, killed it, and then spun up this college football playoff. Are you telling me that there's not still some ill feelings towards representation of Utah? You know, like Utah is now part of it, so they could say, hey, Utah, we're going to pay you to shut up, so just shut up about all this now. Now you're on the inside. We're still keeping BYU out. Well, and really it goes back, so even – Okay, 84 happened like, oh, shoot, can't let, you know, another champion from a little whack be number one anymore. So then they come up with the Bull Coalition, and that evolves into the Bull Alliance. BYU gets hosed in 1996 out of the Fiesta Bowl, and then the Big 12 is formed. BYU gets kicked out of the Big 12 for Baylor because the governor of Texas at the time was a Baylor alumna. She's all mad. And then uh, the PAC was close to expanding in the late 90s, right? Val Hell reported. He was like, oh yeah, no, they were days away and BYU was going to the PAC 12 in the late 90s. That gets scrapped. The BCS gets created. BYU is ranked very highly in 2001, heading into the Hawaii game, still undefeated. They get Very similar to this year, undefeated with a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. Yes, doesn't matter what happens you are losing out on this. You're not going. And then obviously a couple of years later it happens, but even in two, th- it got to the point even, you know, where in 2003, I don't think people remember this, that in 2003, Lavelle Edwards testified before Congress about the BCS and how it was messed up and it needed to be expanded because it excludes half the teams next year. What happens? Oh, Utah runs the table, plays a mediocre schedule not you know it's definitely not what BYU's in 2001s or you know um or this year right like they deserve to be there because they ran the table but playing number 25 pit in the fiesta bowl was their best win that season and you know next year oh so no you can't be upset about us because we let some g5 teams in and then a couple of years later they make the rules like oh if you're ranked in the top 15 or whatever then you'll get to go and you know they expanded a little bit whatever but it's, you know, it's BYU has always been there as kind of nipping and saying, hey, this is stupid the way this is working. It needs to change. And I personally have never liked the CFP committee. I think the idea, well, I mean, the idea that, okay, BYU is ranked number eight in both polls and there is not a single AP voter. The lowest that BYU was voted in the AP poll this week was number 13. So out of- Soren Petro, even Soren Petro put BYU ahead of where the committee did. Right. Sora Petro, who has a publicized bias towards BYU, still put BYU ahead of where the committee did. Right. If you look at the Massey composite, there would have been there's six right now. And I think let's see how many computers are they up to this week. 
there are, okay, we're up to 52 computers. They are ranked number six right behind Cincinnati is the sixth best team in the country. According to an average of 52 different computer rankings, we've got, you know, there's not a single AP voter that put them 14 or lower. The coaches poll obviously has them at eight. There are the simulated BC, like if you redid the BCS formula, they would have been eight, which is about where they should be somewhere between eight and 10. And I think the entire idea of, oh, we're going to have this committee behind closed doors. No one goes in there. You can't see any, you have no idea what they're talking about, what they're looking at. Obviously they're not watching the games because they sure as hell don't know anything about what's going on with BYU this year, but they, you know, they're pulling up random numbers. You have the, the reasons that they're giving of ranking teams are not even correct right? Like they just, why they should have just taken the BCS formula, which worked and was very unbiased as much as it could be. And obviously there were years like when Auburn went undefeated and was stuck at number three, like, sorry, like that's just what happens. If you're only have two teams playing, someone's going to get left out. Like that's just sucks. And it's the way it is. They should have just expanded the BCS from two teams to 12 and, or whatever, just kept the same BCS ranking criteria but just expanded the access, put it in a playoff. It's true. I mean, it really is antithetical to, how do you say that? I say antithetical. People mock fun of me for not blending that into one word. Antithetical. Uh, To me, I say antithetical. Anyway, it's antithetical to like everything that 2020 is. Think of, well, you, like your whole career, right? Big data, using numbers, pulling in whatever you can, whatever information, whatever raw data you can get from whatever resource that is reliable and bringing it in and trying to do something with it. Like that's what everybody's doing, whether you work in, I guess, what is Shutterfly? What do you, what do you consider your industry? Pictures? I don't know. What manufacturing. You are. Scrapbooking, manufacturing. Uh, in banking, where I come from, in sports, Mark Pope, three-pointers, basketball, I mean, everything. It's, it's everywhere. Data is everywhere except college football. We're going to take it. Not only are we going to say we don't want any of the data anymore, we're going to hire the oldest dudes that we can find. They're not even all football coaches, and that's what's hard for me is it's Bring like athletic director. Rice. <laughs> right. It's like it's athletic directors sitting on this committee that – some athletic directors are, are football guys like Tom Homo, but others are not. Uh, the, the guy who is there, I think he's there representing North Carolina State now. What is his name? Oh, dear, no. What is his first name? Anyway, um, no, it's going to bug me. Ray Odierno that used to work at J.P. Morgan Chase. Like he was a banker. And then he got roped in to uh, into, into college athletics to go and run an athletics department. He is somehow one of the 13 people sitting around this table dictating who is and is not the best college football team. Like, how does that make sense when there are literally people who do this for a living and they and there's the availability and the access to have millions of data points to aggregate it into a Massey rating, a Sagarin rating, or whatever it is, we could come up with all kinds of data. We that had Vegas, that. It was called the BCS. We did, right. <laughs> and, and now we got rid of it. Like we have the ability that, that weeks in advance, Las Vegas is able to come up with a point spread that is like very freakishly accurate. But we can't get more than 13 old dudes sitting around in a room with locked doors to determine who is and is not the best team in college football. Now, I will say this. The first ranking is usually the weirdest. Reese Davis talked about this, I think, on, on BYU Sports Nation. He talked about, 
about it. He's talked about it in a few different places this week. But the first ranking is usually a little bit of a crapshoot. And I think that the committee kind of does it. They throw something out there, they gauge the reaction, and then they work on finding ways to correct themselves over the next couple of weeks. That is one of my biggest problems with the committee is I feel like they should do it like the like college basketball does. Like, look, if you're going to really do this, wait until the season's over and then just release one ranking. Releasing rankings week by week is kind of dumb. Maybe it makes a little bit more sense this year because schedules are so fluid. Excuse me. Schedules are so fluid. But overall, I think it's kind of a dumb practice. But I have two examples, and it's only because I went back that far. I probably could go find more. Baylor last year, the first ranking, they were, uh, they came out and they were number 12. And Baylor was, I believe they were 7-0, and 8-0 at the time during the first ranking. Uh, and they were, yeah, they were 8-0 on November 5th. The next week, they dropped to number 13. They were 9-0. Then they lost and dropped to number 14 at 9-1. and one. The next week, there was a little bit of chaos in front of them, but not a ton. So they were ranked behind schools like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Florida. And the next week, they won to go to 10-1, and one, and the committee took them from 14th to 9th, just like that. Michigan didn't lose. Florida didn't lose. Wisconsin didn't lose, but they found a way for a quote unquote good win. And they found an opportunity to move Baylor up and Baylor. They won the next week, moved up to seven. That was where they topped out. Even after losing that final week in the, in the big 12 championship game, they stayed at number seven in 2017. It was a very similar story uh, with Auburn. Auburn debuted at number 12 the next week excuse me, they debuted in the college football rankings at number 14. The next week they jumped up all the way to number 10. They didn't really do anything. None of the teams who were ahead of them really looked bad. They just, they moved up four spots because the committee said, Hey, that's a good win. And Oklahoma state didn't look as good. And that was what happened. So the committee will do that. Now the difference, obvious, there's a very obvious difference. BYU is not in the big 12 or the sec, their opportunity for good for a good win is San Diego State and that's it. Like and that's all they right got. now. San Diego State is purposely losing games to try to sabotage BYU. That's the <laughs> only reason I can think of for them losing to both Nevada and San Jose State. Uh, I actually like Nevada. Carson Strong's a stud at quarterback. It's, it's true. Nevada's decent this year, but San Diego State or yeah, San Jose State. I'm there. It's it's part of the cabal. So no, but but Auburn Auburn did it in 2017. So BYU. Yes, they've got to show well against San Diego State. We have to hope that they add another game onto the schedule this year. But here's the thing, and it's the same thing that we've talked about for a couple of weeks. You can add Liberty. It's not going to do anything. It's not a good win. So if the committee really believes this strength of schedule argument, which is what they said, which is what Gary Barta, who I'm convinced doesn't have eyes, that's what he said, is that the strength of schedule is bad. Fine. Okay, we'll, we'll all agree, I think, that the schedule is poor. Liberty's not going to change that narrative whatsoever. Furthermore, Liberty said no. Marshall, no, they've said no. Coastal has said no. Those are the, those are the most obvious candidates to fit into this schedule that are ranked or have at least some national cachet this year. And they've all said no, and they don't really move the needle anyways. And the PAC 12 also said 
known. I think now that obviously that died, um, we can, and it actually even looks like USC is probably not going to be playing next weekend either because they've got some positive cases. So what was reported, or I guess kind of obviously we did the emergency episode with the whole Washington snafu. So what kind of the proposal that was taken back to the Pac-12 was is BYU will play the game this week against Washington, but it needs to be in Provo and don't care about the guarantee. They can waive the guarantee on that one, whatever, that's fine. But that makes more sense because Utah was obviously not going to be playing Arizona State. And then that way, Washington can just book their flights, make their travel plans. And if BYU gets bumped, they can just go play in Salt Lake. It doesn't cost anyone extra money. Money is very valuable. Like BYU just didn't want to lose money on an unguaranteed game. But playing the game in Lavelle Edwards Stadium, ESPN was willing to work with BYU and say, yes, okay, even though it's a BYU home game, you know, get that broadcasted on Pac-12 network and it can be part of the Pac-12 TV deal. Just basically logistically treat it like a Washington home game that's taking place in Provo, whatever. But in exchange, BYU said, okay, we want when USC can't play next weekend against um, Washington State, then we want to be able to get that game and we want that one guaranteed if we're going down there. And instead of it being on Pac-12 network, we want it still to be under the Pac-12 TV contract, but the, have the conference give either Fox or ESPN the rights to be able to pick that game up and make it a nationally broadcast game against USC. And that would have been a great deal for everybody involved, but the PAC 12 can't get out of their own way this year. There was enough buzz about that deal. Like that, that was what all the eyeball emojis were about. We started to hear a lot of that buzz kind of in the middle of our emergency episode. And we were asked to, Hey, let's keep it quiet until something comes out. It didn't make sense. I mean, like there's, there's some obvious, you know, like, Hey, wait a minute. That goes against what the PAC 12 has said, you know, the PAC, the PAC 12, 12 has gone against themselves and everything. Right. The season. Yep. Which is exactly where I was going is that, yes, it is like the PAC 12 has three primary criteria, but they've proven that criteria is meant to be changed this year. So that was what we had heard. And there was enough traffic that one, we heard it. Yes. But there was enough like momentum that and, and optimism that that was going to be approved, which leads me to believe that the schools had said yes and had agreed to it, that Kalani told the players, like they pulled players back in from wherever they were. There haven't been very many players that have left Provo. Most have stayed, but some did because they were given the week off to go celebrate Thanksgiving however they wanted. They brought the players back in. They held practice. Kalani then told the players, not only did he say, hey, we think we've got a game, he let them know it was Washington. Like, he let them know what was happening. That's why the players brought all the eyeball emojis out. That's why the players were so excited, is this team was getting ready to play Washington. I don't think they're going to do that unless Washington has said, you know what, yeah, I, I think we can do this. Let's make it work. Ultimately, it fell through. It's my belief that the Pac-12 killed it, but that's just pure speculation on my part i don't think i think if washington says no or if washington even hymns and haws and kind of sits on the fence for a minute i don't think that kalani satake is going to his team and saying hey this is what we think is going to happen right like i I think that there was enough traction that they were pretty confident byu would be playing washington tomorrow and we've seen some people say you know talk about um 
you know, seen some people talk about, you know, what's going on with San Diego state is now playing Colorado, which that's that talk about how stupid that is. Colorado was supposed to go and travel to LA and then, or they may have already even been there when last night the PAC 12 canceled the USC's game or this morning because USC has positive cases. And so now San Diego state is flying today to play Colorado tomorrow. And people are like, well, why didn't BYU do that? Why weren't, you know, whatever it's, San Diego State was supposed to play Fresno State this weekend. Their players didn't have Thanksgiving plans because they did not have a buy scheduled, right? They were already on campus. They weren't planning on going home, like all these different things. And so it was just a very different situation. Plus also, we've already played 10 games. We can only add two more. So yes, it takes away one of those opportunities, but we still have two weekends to where we can add another game. And I think, you know, BYU will try to get a you know, a PAC 12 game next week. And I think it, there's a good chance that it will happen unless, you know, ideally it would have been nice to have Cincinnati, which could have happened because that would have made sense for both parties, just because Cincinnati being at number seven and coastal being number 20 is the next highest G five. Even if BYU Cincinnati lost to BYU, they would Cincinnati would still go to the new year six, but a win might push them into number four or close enough into number five that they can get some help and kind of fall into number four. But mm-hmm. Cincinnati was supposed to play Temple tomorrow. That was canceled, because, and it made it sound like the issues were on both teams and neither team would be available next weekend. So it said even though both teams have open dates on 12-5, it's not going to be made up. Maybe that's just some PR speak, and a BYU-Cincinnati game is going to be announced for next weekend. I don't know. We haven't heard anything about that. I think it feels it's very- like, It feels like that would have been announced. At right. this point, and like so to build some hype, build some momentum, right? So it does. It takes two to tango, right? And so it's Liberty said no, Marshall and Coastal said no, San Diego State is saying, hey, we're fine on twelve twelve. Um, you know, maybe we'll try to get a Pac twelve team, or but really, it's like if you know, playing. Then goes back to what you said, playing Liberty that doesn't do anything for you because it's if they're saying strength of schedule is the issue, then adding one more beatdown against a Conference USA or Sun Belt level team doesn't really not gonna do it that's not going to do it playing new mexico isn't going to move the needle however if you play a sunbelt team named louisiana and you lose that's a quality loss and you'll get moved up right that's what happened to ohio or uh, iowa state right they lost to louisiana they are ahead of byu even with that loss and another loss so i think that may be what byu is lacking is those quality losses that's if you want to be one of the big boys you got to fake it till you make it you got to start racking up those quality losses to move into the top 10 so i I mean we've talked about that a lot and so it's obviously it's BYU. tom homo is doing everything he can to try to make things move and get things going i think everyone is shocked at where you know coming in at number 14 in the rankings like everyone was shocked i think you know I think people thought maybe be as high as eight and as low as 10 or 11, but nobody thought number 14 was a possibility. Um, And so I've seen a lot of people as well say like, Oh, this is a sign that we need to go join. You know, we need to join a conference at all costs, even if we go to a G five thing, cause it gets, you know, access to the NY six and it's, And they cite Cincinnati as an example saying like, Oh, Cincinnati has allies. Like what allies does Cincinnati have in the, selection committee right there's nobody there and it doesn't matter cincinnati could be ranked number anywhere between five and 19 one ahead of coastal carolina and it doesn't matter where they're ranked they're still the top ranked g5 and would go to the ny6 so and watch and watch what's going to happen to cincinnati this week like that's that's one thing i'm really anxious to see cincinnati now here we are in november getting into december and cincinnati is going to be idle this week because of covid i don't think they're going to stay at seven 
No, they'll should probably- they? I think they should. I don't think they will. Right. And so that was even the highest that they'd been. So even that's the highest a G5 team has ever been in the CFP rankings. The highest UCF got before was number eight. And that's after they ran the table undefeated and then got like nine and oh into their second season of going, you know, back to back undefeated regular seasons. So it's not really in really like one, don't make permanent decisions based on temporary circumstances. One, just life advice. Just don't do that. And so based on a COVID year and the schedule we have, like if we were nine and oh against our regular schedule, we would have been in the top 10 starting, you know, we'd be in the top 10 week three into the season and knocking off three pack 12 or two pack 12 and a big 10 team. And, you know, with our regular schedule, we wouldn't be having this issue because with our schedule, they can use that as an excuse with our original schedule and all the names on there. They couldn't use that as an excuse. Right. And so that original schedule, those teams suck. Did you see Utah play? Yes, but don't take away from my point right now. Like, because because they only because the the committee only cares about brand, right? The only thing that matters is brand. And so you're right. Even though I derailed you, that was my fault. (laughs) Even though the you know even though Coastal is a better program than half those teams or better team this year, sorry, those are still better programs. And the committee cares about programs, not about teams. And obnoxious. And so you know. It's like why if you look at our look at next year's schedule, okay, there's seven G five or seven P fives plus Boise State. That is a P five, like that is as good of a schedule as you are getting in any P five league. You run that table next year, we will be in the new year six, whatever. But so why would you trade multiple NY six level opponents every year for a single year? Like what did going to the New Year Six in 2014 do for Boise? What did it do for Houston going in 2015? How different is Western Michigan now for going to the NY6 in 2016 or is Northern Illinois for going to the Orange Bowl and getting the crap beat out of them in 2013, right? Like it's fun to go to a New Year's Day Bowl, but it's overrated in terms of the long-term prospects of your team. And, you know- Well, and it's overrated. It's overrated from a financial aspect as well. If you have an alternative like BYU, right? Like BYU has, uh, BYU has the ability to bring in ESPN money, and uh, they don't need to rely solely on that New Year's Six bid. The, these other teams, like they, they get their Mountain West money, they get their American money, or their Conference USA money, their MAC money, and they get that, and they're. That's it. It's what they got. Like the, the only other way to inject additional revenue into that program is to elevate the status of the entire conference. The only way to elevate the status of the entire conference is to routinely play P5 type teams and to win. If you can do that, then maybe you stand a chance of elevating the entire, I guess, brand of your conference. BYU, where they're their own conference, they are on their own. They are by themselves as an independent. They have the ability to elevate their own brand each and every year that they're able to load up on P5 games. I mean, it really is that simple. So I agree with Garrett. I agree with you that that uh, it is an overrated thing. I think this year the impact of a potential New Year's Six game would be significant given the financial shortcomings that everybody is facing. Uh, having any sort of extra extra revenue is a big deal. Um, I know that BYU is projecting a twenty thousand, or excuse me, a twenty million dollar loss, but I don't think that it's 
like a crazy big deal. I think BYU can make one call to a certain owner of the Utah Jazz and, and make up that $20 million shortfall. But yes, the financial aspect of playing in a New Year's Six game does help. It also helps on the recruiting trail. I mean, there, there's no question. Like it, it creates a little bit of a buzz right away. But Northern Illinois wasn't suddenly bringing in a bunch of five stars in the class of 2014. Like that's just not how this works. And so the the notion that BYU is going to suddenly go from where they are now to a top 20 team if they make it to the Fiesta Bowl, like that's just not going to happen. And I think it, a lot it really of, is that simple. And I think a lot of it too, and it's kind of a chicken and egg argument, is that people don't realize like we wouldn't be undefeated and where we're at right now being in the top 10 into both polls and really every poll, except for the one that matters um, most, if we were in the mountain West, right? Like Zach Wilson came out and said publicly, the reason he did not go to Boise state is because it did not feel like big time football playing in the mountain West. He wanted a bigger stage. BYU gave him that stage, right? Zach or sorry, Lapini Katoa, which I don't know, why didn't he, when did he change from going, he was Zach in high school and then started going by Lopini. You know, and I think he, I think he always went by Lopini, but I don't think that any of us called him Lopini until he got back. Mm-hmm. But I remember um, him being announced at Oregon State as Lopini Katoa. So, I mean, so Katoa signed with a Pac-12 program. He's not he's not transferring after his mission if BYU in the Mountain West. Tyler Algier is not going to walk on to unless BYU is gives him a chance to play against major programs. He's going to take an FCS scholarship or he's going to walk on at San Diego State or Fresno because if he's playing in the Mountain West, he'd rather play in a Mountain West at a school that's not weird being a non-member and is close to home. Gunnar Romney is going to go to ASU or Utah. He's not coming to Provo. Dax Milne is probably on scholarship at Utah State or he's playing at Weber because if I can get a scholarship to a Mountain West school or walk on at a Mountain West school, what's the difference? Kyrus Tong is not transferred from Utah. Uriah Laritawa is not flipping from Stanford on signing day to a Mountain West school. Empey is not transferring from Utah or, you know, coming and signing with BYU after his mission. Tristan Hodge is not transferring from Notre Dame to a Mountain West team. Chaz Ayu is not signing with BYU over UCLA if BYU is in the Mountain West, right? Like, so that's just some of it. All of these big, like all of our best players that are at the sitting at the top of our depth chart would not be here if they were not looking at the future schedules and saying, okay, yeah, BYU is not a P5 conference, but they're basically playing de facto p5 schedules for the foreseeable future that's fine everything like the schedules are enough to make up for it to where the church thing it matters right like and it's being a church school like it's close enough for me that i can get on board with that and so even if you want to say oh go back and join the mountain west because that fixes things it doesn't fix anything because if we were in the mountain west we'd be two and oh right now because we would have gotten outvoted and stuck not playing for half the season, right? Yeah. And obviously the American is a much better conference than the Mountain West and that things looks, you know, a little bit better, but then still we're not getting the level of talent that we're currently getting. And you can look at like recruiting rankings and compare them or whatever, but that's an inexact science and that's very heavily based on, um, you know, that's very heavily based on, uh, how many guys you sign, but then also the formula for doing the class rankings. It's once you get past like like the gap between number one and number five is the same 
as the gap between number five and number 25, which is the same gap between number 25 and number 100 in the class. We, we talked about it a lot last year that the way that that aggregate team ranking, like the way your, I guess your aggregate team score is calculated relies so much on, and you would know what the formula is. I don't know what the formula is, but if you have a high, a highly rated player up at the top of your class, then everybody else, like that's your, that's your starting point. That's your 100 and everybody else fills out a certain percentage of what your top number is or something like that. It's and so of every player you gets added at like a percentage of what their own ranking is. So if your top guy is like a 95, he's worth 95. But if your second guy is a 90, then he may only get added into your team ranking as like an 88 or something because it's yeah, so, a percentage on a distribution. Yeah. So it's like that. So Andrew Gentry, like if, if, if that's it, if, if only Andrew Gentry signs last year, one player who's going on a mission, if we, if, if we factor in his recruitment or his score, BYU would have gone up like 24 spots in the, the recruiting rankings. Right. It's crazy. It's I think having a top 25 class is meaningful. Having a top 35 is like obviously good. Once you get past 35, it's kind of just clumped together and it's focused more on who you get and not worry about who you didn't get because yep. there's guys that are going to flop. There's guys that are going to be good. I mean, you can look at the recruiting rankings and look at our staff and what they've done and signing guys who are just lanky and have speed, right? Like the, like the, okay, well, I guess D'Angelo Mandel did have an, um, he did have a Vanderbilt offer. So, but it's like the Chris Wilcoxes and the Isaiah Harans and the Malik Morris, right? Like those are guys that we took a flyer on based on, you know, taking an underrated guy or even add in Dax Milne or Tyler Algier, right? Those are guys that were underrated, kind of under-recruited. The, the staff was like, hey, we can make something work with this. And they found them, did, brought them in and developed them. That's more important than, oh, we were ranked number 52, not 76, and the computer yep. rankings when adding one more low-end prospect to is enough to bump you up because of just how the numbers work out. Like so it's you know, getting into focus more on film than the actual recruiting rating outside of like, okay, if you are a top 20 team in a class, like if you have a top 20 class, like you sign some dudes and you're gonna be good for the next few years, right? Like it's but past that, it's all just so muddied together. Um so really kind of wrapping up this big, long segment about football and what's happening and why and on and everything. It's kind of, I guess we'd sum it up as BYU is in a good spot. It may not seem this week, it may not seem like they're in a good spot, but the talent that we have, the talent that is coming in is because they're looking at this year, what this year's schedule should have been and what it's going to be. And they want to play for that. They don't want to go play New Mexico and Wyoming and UNLV and have that be the highlight of their season to shoot for a Mountain West championship. They don't care about that. And they don't care about anything. That's why they're else. not going to Utah State. I mean, I, I, that's it, right? I mean, that, that really is the difference. And even, even where they are, even if we take all of that future stuff aside and we focus back in on that New Year's Six game, it's not over, right? Georgia should not be ranked number nine. And I think that that is going, that was made abundantly clear by the committee or by the national media. And I think the committee adjusts. Iowa State struggled against a, a Texas team. They won today, but they didn't look good. And I would not be surprised to see BYU jump them, even though they haven't played. Indiana plays Maryland tomorrow. They still play Wisconsin. Miami plays a tough Wake Forest team. North Carolina, Northwestern plays Minnesota. They still have the big team. 
10, uh, the big 10 championship game. If they get there, like there's still losses on those, those schedules, I, I guess from the teams that are immediately ahead of BYU, they've only got to get two spots. Like that's all they've got to do. They don't have to go from 14 to eight. They have to go from 14 to 12. If they can get to 12, this new year six, like, it's still there. It's still very, very much possible. Maybe I'm underplaying it a little bit, but in my mind, I am just as convinced as I was before that BYU will ultimately play in a New Year's Six game. I've been wrong, but I, I was never 100% sure, but I was about 80% sure. I was pretty darn sure. Don't go buy plane tickets, but feel pretty good about it. I'm still there. I mean, I still feel confident. I really do expect, and people have told me that I'm wrong every time I've said this all week long. I do think that the committee makes an adjustment. I don't think they take BYU from 14 to eight, but I would not be at all surprised to see some of those teams who are immediately ahead of BYU, Iowa State, Indiana, Oklahoma, depending on what happens this weekend, I think BYU could jump up a spot or two this week before they even play a game. I do think they will jump ahead Iowa State. Iowa State, they won. They looked awful. Indiana, I, I could see Indiana taking a loss this week. Oklahoma is going to win. Miami, Miami's so fickle. I think eventually they fall to somebody that they shouldn't lose to. But I, I do think that BYU has still a perfectly reasonable path to get to 12. It's frustrating that they have to. It's frustrating that they're not just trying to fight everybody else off to stay inside the top 12, but I do think that they can get inside that top 12 fairly quickly. I I, I would not be surprised. Yeah, and so I I agree with you and that's I think there needs to be and obviously Kalani's doing everything he can to get one more game added. It should hopefully is a game of consequence. Ideally, and we kind of talked about this in our emergency show that on 12-19, it'd be awesome if we can get, you know, the SEC to waive their non-conference, their no out-of-conference game thing and let somebody else play the same day as the SEC championship game, like an A&M type program or something like that. Um, you know, Georgia. if that's needed or Georgia, right? Like a two-loss Georgia, you know, play, play a game like that. Um, maybe that happens because teams are like, hey, you know, we can get some more revenue in. And obviously like BYU would go on the road to Athens if, needed and they're not scared to play anybody and so that's and if i'm if i'm a byu fan like i want to be able to say hey we made it to the fiesta bowl but dude give me georgia the week before christmas like win or lose i'm still going to be as pumped about that game as i would have playing oregon in the fiesta bowl like probably right, that, more exciting. right that's a i mean you're right now that'd be a top 10 game and it's very similar to going that's basically going to an ny6 game right like so it's you know kind of going and that's also something where it's that game doesn't happen if we are not in the position we're at right now so it is like that that game in a way would be a reward for being 10 and 0 and playing you know after beating san diego state which hopefully happens 100 to nothing um so we want to take a break um, really quick and mention our newest sponsor of the show. Um, so if you do you work for a business and hate your technology, or do you have business revenue decisions that come across your desk and you just feel like your systems and your data aren't helping you enough, if your sales and marketing has tons of manual processes that you just don't feel like you can trust, or it's a bunch of spreadsheets that are hard to manage, or you just worry that you're not even looking at the right numbers, then Teeple's Consulting can help you. I was founded by a Cougar fan who's helped companies worldwide. Um, you know, they've got major things like LegalZoom, Ancestry, Magento, uh, BYU, even BYU directly. Uh, they've, you know, they've seen 
Tuples Consulting come in and transform their data, their security, and you know help put processes and systems in place to help drive revenue. Um, they don't work like traditional consultants, but they get involved and work as regular team members, um, you know, to bring data together, driving revenue and performance. Um, so visit tuplesconsulting.com. That's T-E-E-P-L-E-S consulting.com. And you might even earn yourself a $500 referral bonus if you tell them Give Them Hell sent you. I think that we need to find a way. I don't know how. How do we find a way to get Gary Barta to call Teeple's Consulting? Because everything that Teeple's Consulting does is what the college football playoff committee just proved that they suck at. Like they clearly need to stop trying to manage watching as many as 15 football games a week on a spreadsheet because they, they don't know who's good and who's not. They clearly don't know what to do with the wealth of college football data that surrounds them. They obviously need some automation and I don't want to make any judgments and we love old people. There are old people. My parents are old. My grandparents are old. The college football playoff committee is old. Clearly we can, we can, a, a place like Teeple's Consulting can help them automate a lot of this stuff so that it comes up in like big block letters on their flip phones at the end of the, at the end of the sequence that it needs to run. Teeple's Consulting, I actually have a story about Ryan Teeple's and I don't know if Ryan even knows this, but let me tell you about Ryan Teeple's. My first endeavor into the BYU blog world, I was the featured writer for BYU basketball, which is, little ironic given how much I hate basketball, but I was the featured writer for BYU basketball on Bleacher Report during the Jimmer days. Like I was the one who wrote the story on Bleacher Report that Brandon Davies was suspended. I always wanted to be the featured writer on Bleacher Report for BYU football because that was more fun. I followed recruiting, all that good stuff, but I could never do it because there was somebody who was filling that role before me. That was one Ryan Teeples. That was 10 years ago. I never actually talked to Ryan. That uh, was, I guess it was a few years, a few years later that I, you know, Twitter and whatever else I got to know Ryan a little bit, but I had this like angst towards Ryan because he was the football guy and I had to be relegated to being the basketball guy on Bleacher Report. All in all, great guy. Uh, turns out all of the feelings that I had and the jealousy that I had, that he had the role that I wanted to, it was, Ill, it was, you know, misplaced. He's a very, very good guy. I would hire him to do just about anything because I think he's smart. I'm excited. We're going to have him on the show uh, to talk about, you know, some of what our brand is really is that, that business aspect of college football excited to bring him onto the show later on. Uh, give him a call, guys, if you need help in that arena or if you know Gary Barta or anybody else on the playoff committee, uh, let's find a way to get Ryan Teeples in front of those guys or in front of your business. It will go a long way. Agreed. And I think just kind of reiterate, go jump back to what you said. You don't hate basketball. You hate college basketball referees. Let's I do. Let's, it's let's so unwatchable. That hatred because we love BYU. So you actually freaked me out. I didn't have a chance to watch a good chunk of the game last night and but i saw on twitter when you were talking well i saw the second of your tweets because you started tracking to see who would which would score more between the new orleans privateers and how many fouls the refs would call in the game close game and it freaked me out for a second because 
I, you said that in the first tweet, but then the follow-ups were just saying the score is like privateers take the lead, like 46 to 41. <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 what is happening? Um, but I mean, the basketball team is like college basketball is just mired with whistles and that is a huge problem. Um, and so we don't want like, you know, that is just a huge issue and it's a pain in the butt. The, and the other thing that I hate that I need to, I college battle has got to address this. There are so many whistles and so many other stoppages. Why do they still have built in media timeouts? Why are we still going to commercial after 12 and after five minutes when we know that we're going to go to commercial at 13 minutes and 11 minutes because of fouls? Like I, I just can't do it. And then the other thing they need to take, we've all known this college football needs to get rid of halves and, and so that we don't, you don't get, you know, 10 fouls or seven fouls, whatever it is in the first six minutes. And then you have 14 minutes worth of foul shots. They've got to go to quarters and get rid of that a little bit. But beyond that, they've got to get rid of timeouts. That's the biggest thing, not get rid of, but reduce like the number of timeouts that can be taken in a college basketball game. It's like seven throughout the game yeah. for each team. It's absurd. Or make it like football that you get three and a half. I don't care. And if you don't use them, you don't use them. Something's got to change to just help with the flow of the game. College basketball outside of March, you know, take away the brackets, take away the office pools, take away all of that stuff. College basketball is dead. There is no college. There's no reason to watch it. The NBA is spinning up their G League thing that they're going to be able to pay these players right out of high school college basketball would die. I really think there is an urgency that the NCAA has to have to fix the watchability factor of college basketball because it's not there. The refs play a huge role. I think they called 54, if I remember right off the top of my head, 54 fouls last night. There's only 40 minutes of basketball. They call 54 fouls. It's absolutely insane. So that has to change. All of that said, BYU looks pretty good. They look like they're going to be a very, very good basketball team again. Uh, we, Before we get into some of the details of the roster and the players, we have to talk about Gavin Baxter. It, it looks pretty dire for him. <laughs> it looks like there's another season-ending injury that has come his way. He went down. There was some contact, but it looked like the contact came after he his knee buckled and he started to go to the ground. So I'm going to call it a non-contact knee injury. Typically, that means a torn something, whether it be a meniscus or as serious as an MCL or anything in between. Uh, I know that his mom was called into the locker room. I think they said that on the telecast last night. That's never a good sign. That's not a good sign. Uh, they're going in for an MRI. And look, guys, like you don't get an MRI for something that's not a big deal, right? An MRI is your last ditch hope of, hey, maybe it's going to reveal no ligament damage, but we're pretty sure there's ligament damage. So doesn't look good for Gavin. Uh, BYU's built to be able to absorb that loss really really well this year compared to last year right like gavin went down and it was an unproven colby lee and yoli childs and that was pretty much it in terms of size this year gavin can go down caleb loner will immediately step in and fill his place like wyatt lowell got back faster than i expected uh, i think that covid and the delay of the season really helped wyatt lowell because now he's able to start playing now didn't have to miss any games um 
I love Richard Harward, what he brings to the table. Like the dude has been physical down low. He has been a rim protector. Matt Harms hasn't even played yet. Like he's still out with an ankle injury. He's hoping to play tomorrow. I would expect him to play next week. Uh, but the big, you know, the, the highly touted seven foot three transfer out of Purdue, uh, he's going to come in and immediately walk into the starting lineup and make an impact. He's got a ton of size that a loss like Gavin Baxter while it sucks you never want to lose a guy who has been in the starting lineup and who has the abilities that Gavin Baxter has if you're gonna lose a guy like that this is the year to lose a guy like that right and it's I mean Gavin is very athletic but I also I mean he's very he's very athletic but it's not like his offensive game has not developed the way I'd hoped it would and obviously a lot of that is just because he's has spent so much time hurt that he hasn't been able to get as much time in in the gym as we'd all would have hoped um but yeah this team is just deep and it's right now i looked at they're like 84th and ken palm a lot of that's just based on lost production right like it's you lose yo you lose yoli you lose tj haas you lose jake toolson it's like i mean that's a ton a ton of production right there um and you know but Barcelo's taken a huge step forward. Brandon Avery is really fun to watch. And, you know, Matt Harms hasn't, like you said, he hasn't even played yet. Like the talent is there and we have, there's the coaching staff is in place to get, I feel like even looking at last season, we can see that the staff can take a group of people and get them playing together and, um, you know, get those guys playing together and get a lot of good production out of them. Like that's going to happen. And I don't think there's any reason why that wouldn't, happening you know based on last year and you know so i think this team is going to be good and it's we'll see how many games they end up getting able to play because of covid and stuff but it's i think you know this team could potentially go on a run and do some really good things and i think they're definitely solidly especially after you know looking at how saint mary's has played so far and san francisco's been up and down they lost to umass lowell not even the umass Minutemen, the umass lowell <laughs> eagles uh, or whatever Hawks, whatever it is. Um, and then, but then they took down number four, Virginia today. So it's, that's, I think the top four is going to continue to be number, um, you know, to be BYU, Gonzaga, BYU, and then St. Mary's and UMass. But it's, you know, the, you know, we could challenge and we could, this team has the talent to knock off Gonzaga. Gonzaga looks extremely good in the games that I've watched the couple games I've seen clips of so far. Um, I watched a good portion of their Kansas game yesterday, but it, you know, things are good um, in the basketball program, which is why, you know, Mark Pope signed an extension and is going to be the coach through the end of the 2027 um, season. And good it's for very, him. It's very deserved. And I think I just want to point out that you and I have been saying the extend the fo- football staff. We've been on that train for a long time now this season. And people are saying, well, this is just one year and we need to wait till the end of the season for him to prove it. It's just one year, one year, one year. Mark Pope literally only has one year of experience. One year. And it was a roster that was pretty well built. Like he added Toulson and I guess Barcelo. But yeah. last year's roster, like that was a team that was primed to do something like all the credit in the world, to Mark Pope for re-energizing the program, the fans getting that team. Like they had some, some crazy chemistry. So all the credit in the world to Mark Pope. And I don't disagree with this contract extension one iota, but if we're going to hold Kalani to this one year standard uh, that was built last year for Mark Pope. And when Kalani got a contract extension, it went through what? 2023. Pope is extended now through the 2026, 2027 season. 
it's time to extend Kalani. It should happen. I would hope it happens like this week. If they're not going to add a game, find a way to stay in the spotlight somehow. Contract extension for your coach of the year candidate coach. Seems like the best wild card that BYU would have short of playing football. And I want, and I said this on Twitter, I want Mark Pope to be the one to announce it. I don't want, I mean, Pope's, it was kind of quiet, right? Because it was just a press release during the CFP ranking show. So it's kind of weird how that happened. Um, But like, I want a press conference where Mark Pope is the one announcing it and just being like, look, like we're all in this together, like for the brand, like, you know, for Cougar Nation, like we are doing this all together. We're both on board for the long haul. Let's go win a crap ton of games together um, with our programs. Um, so our last bit of announcement, um, Logan Fano is Fano, Fano. I don't remember how to, how to say that. I've Fano. never, Fano. Um, as he said that he is announcing his commitment tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Um, so that will be happening then. Um, I think, you know, it's down to BYU and Utah. We'll see where he goes. Like. I like our chances, but everything, you know, I think it's pretty close to a toss up and we'll find out tomorrow night and that can get laid to rest um, here quickly. And, but we'll see Um, last week, but say your prayers, people say your Logan Fano prayers, say your prayers. Um, So now just to finish up with our picks, we have, I know some games are playing today. So obviously those will be off the slate last week. We talked about, in the emergency show, it wasn't that great because we went two and four, uh, both went two and four. So that's not ideal for us, but we do have our six games uh, for the week. First one. How, Penn- did, how did we do last week other than ugly? Are we, are we even counting it? Because I don't remember. Uh, yeah. I mean, we we're counting. We both went two and four. So yeah, that was bad. Yeah. Um, so our, uh, you know, I've, I'm still ahead of you by a couple games and, you okay. know, for in our season tracker, but the, so our first game, Penn state is a one point dog on the road in Michigan. I included this one because this is the suck bowl. Like these were supposed to be good teams. Penn state is zero and five. Oh, and five. Like who would have thought that Penn state's opening season loss on a two-point conversion to indiana would actually be the high point of their year like yeah. that's the best that they've played michigan's awful jim harbaugh's awful I, I michigan i think i think they suck less but i don't feel good about any anybody on this game i, I mean i don't feel good about either but i'm taking penn state and i think i take a straight up i think they gotta be hungry to get finally get a win and even though they've just looked so bad and i think just the wheels are completely falling off the harbaugh mobile you know winning in overtime or double overtime against rutgers right like it's i think i think penn state is going through a bit of a rough patch where in ann arbor i think the wheels have completely fallen off and the locker room is gone. Like nobody in the building is on board with Harbaugh there. So for that reason, I don't I'm know, man, Penn an State. 0 five rough patch is a pretty rough patch. I mean, there've been close I, I get losses. It. Though. I, they I think haven't I get your logic though. They haven't had any losses like the ones Michigan has had. It's true. Right. Like they're, so, I mean, we're looking I'm at, I'm taking Michigan, but I understand what you're saying. 
Right. So it's, I mean, all of their losses have been, well, their worst loss is a 35 19 loss to Maryland. That's, oh, sorry. They lost, they got smoked by Iowa last weekend. Forgot about that. Um, but that's a top 10 Iowa team. So, or top 25 Iowa team. So, but it's, they've played their games a lot closer than Michigan has. And so I yeah, think, okay. So, so Maryland is an 11 and a half point underdog at Indiana. I'm taking the Terrapins in this one. I am too. And I think I'm going to go find my way to whether it be an online sports book, or maybe I'll go make a, a drive tonight in the middle of the night. I think Maryland wins this game outright. I just, I, I've seen Michael Penix Jr. play now. I've watched three of Indiana's games and they're, ugh, I just can't buy it. And I know that they looked great against Ohio State. They lost, but they looked great. Ohio State's pass defense sucks. Like they're just, they're not what they have been. I think they can get there. They have a ton of talent. They just haven't been able to put it together yet. So I, I, I don't put as much stock into that Ohio State loss as apparently the college football playoff committee does. And I'm a believer in in Tiny Tua, right? In, in Tua's little brother, Talia Tagovailoa at Maryland. I think he's a stud. And he has started to really put it together in the last few weeks. So I'm taking the Terrapins. I like that pick a lot. I yeah, I think I think I might take them straight up as well. Indiana has squeaked their way to, you know, I I thought that they were going to get absolutely demolished by Ohio State. And and they, they really didn't. did. Like I mean, they should have. They came back, they had some huge big plays in the second half, but at one point that was a like 42-14 game. Right. And so I think Indiana kind of skated to where they are at and kind of barely getting by. Um, but I, I do, I think, you know, Tua Jr. is, um, you know, he is a good quarterback. And I think the Terrapins um, get this one outright. Utah is a seven point road underdog to Washington. I'm taking the Huskies in this one. Utah apparently has more COVID cases. And there were some questions about whether this game would even be played, even though it was scheduled two days ago. Um, you know, they're preparing on a short week. They haven't got to play as many games. So basically coming out of a very short week where they didn't know who they were going to play and who they could prep for, I am taking the team that not only has more talent, but also has better quarterback play. And Utah just did not look good last weekend and has more games under their belt. And it's like the short week is going to affect a home team that's played two more games this season less. So I'm taking the Huskies. Yep, me too. Taking the Huskies. Cam Rising, uh, he's hurt, done for the year. It's the Jake Bentley show. And he looked terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, we got San Jose State is an 11 and a half point dog on the road in Boise. This is weird because San Jose is undefeated. For They're like, you know, it's they are the like best team Currently, they are number one in the Mountain West standings, which has never happened before. And they are 33 in Massey Composite, 4 0. You know, they are the second highest rated team in the Massey Composite behind number 26, Boise. And, you know, they look pretty good. And they surprisingly, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I, 11 points feels like a lot. Just, I mean, Boise hasn't. I mean, 
I don't know. I haven't watched either of these, but Boise just hasn't put it away. And I haven't watched San Jose State enough to where I feel like I can, you know, say, oh yeah, Boise's going to win by 12 plus. But I don't know. This one is should be an easy Boise call it done. But it feels like uh, San Jose State might pull this one out and make this a nail biter. Not that they'll win, but it'll be a nail biter. Um, I like Boise by. 25 points uh i am looking at the weather i don't change them that's going to be in the 40s no snow very little wind so it's just going to be chilly but weather shouldn't be a major factor if that changes things for you still boise i i'm not uh, i'm not as on the fence i don't i don't buy into san jose state yeah i, I mean, probably should but i don't so hold on the I think the reason I'm buying into San Jose State is erroneously reading a lot into their win over San Diego State, who has proven to be a very mediocre team this year. And it's because everyone thought like, oh, it's going to be Boise and San Diego State. That's going to be the top two teams in the Mountain West this year. And that kind of hasn't happened. But I mean, so the, their wins, San Jose or over Air Force 17 to 6, over New Mexico 38 to 21, San Diego 28 17, UNLV 34 17, which was pretty close. And then they kind of broke that open at the end. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to go with you. It's, I think, at home, Boise, now that Bachmeyer is back and they kind of they clicked in the second half against Hawaii last week because that was game was pretty close in the first half. Um, but it is just weird to see a 4 0 San Jose State team. Um, Georgia is a 21 and a half point road favorite in Columbia against the South Carolina Gamecocks who are without a head coach because they fired Will Muschamp. Uh, JT Daniels back, well, not back, but at quarterback for Georgia now after being inexplicably gone for several weeks, though he had been cleared. He looked great. Uh, in fact, I think CBS Sports put him as a first-round draft pick next year. Like, he oh. looked that good. Uh, still the sixth quarterback taken off the board, but it's a pretty good quarterback class. South Carolina doesn't have a coach. This should be a really easy Georgia win and cover. But I am here to bet with my heart. And if there is no college football playoff cabal, then there must be a college football God. And I have to believe much like God has demonstrated over the course, like actual God has demonstrated over the course of thousands and thousands of years that he will insert himself to correct the sins of the world. Not all the time. Sometimes he has to start a flood and just start over, but he will send a plague you know, send a Moses to kind of make break some havoc. He'll do something and hopefully get people to stop their sinful ways. And I feel like the college football God is going to do the same thing. And South Carolina is our baby floating down the river in a basket that is going to blossom into our Moses this year that exposes the awful 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 people who put georgia inside the top 10 and they will win that's my logic if you don't buy into that logic that south carolina is like our baby moses floating down the river well i can't blame you 
But that's what I'm riding with South Carolina. I just think 21 and a half points on the road is a lot. Even though, I mean, it's not that far, right? Like Athens to Columbia is only like a three-hour drive. It's not that, you know, so, but it's, I think, you know, it's, I got to take the Gamecocks as well. Just, you know, with, you said, it's just, it feels like one of those games where it's not going to end up the way you expect it to. And it's going to go in. I don't think South Carolina will win, but I think it's Georgia's going to look sloppy and we're going to see things a lot closer than they should be. And, you know, sometimes with a new head coach, it kind of invigorates the team. Like when Orgeron was took over at USC and they went on a good run or look at what Frank Miley has done at Utah state. Right. Yeah. I I'm with you. you look, I will, if South Carolina wins, I will make a commitment. I can't do it myself, but I will find somebody who can. But if South Carolina wins this game on the heels of what we are talking about, I will find a way to design a logo that we will put onto a shirt that is a Gamecock floating down a river in a basket like Moses. I will commit to that. I can support that. Um, And they will reveal CFP cabal to the world. Our last pick is Northwestern is a 13 and a half point road favorite at Michigan state. Uh, Northwestern feels very much like San Jose state, but in the big 10, they really do. This, this line is interesting to me. And this line tells me that Vegas does not believe in Northwestern the same way the college football playoff cabal does. Northwest Michigan state's been terrible and Northwestern is a top 10 team. According to the committee, there is no reason that they should be less than a two touchdown favorite right now period so i'm going to take michigan state because typically when these kinds of lines like this come out now let me make this even more clear the line opened as northwestern is a nine point favorite the money has gone the other way right so the line has grown vegas typically knows something i mean obviously they don't know anything except for i do believe that they have a hot tub time machine and they're able to kind of see what's really going on so I'm going to take Michigan state. Maybe this is another bet with my heart and Michigan state will be our college football Moses this week, but one of them, South Carolina or Michigan state, one of, if not both will win this week. So I'm taking Michigan state. I think I'm taking them to win. I almost want to go Garrett and I want, I want to call it the Moses and I want to just have a three team parlay. You have to take the money line, Maryland, South Carolina, Michigan state to beat Indiana, Georgia, and Northwestern. You know, I, maybe let's go take a look at what that will do. I, this is weird because we only, Maryland or Penn State, Michigan is the only game where we're differing this week. Um, but which is a little weird, right? I kind of feel, I don't want to like we're riding each other's coattails, but I have to agree with you. And looking at, um, looking at the, Northwestern schedule. It's like, okay, they stomped Maryland game one, 43 to three. That's when everyone was like, Whoa, Whoa, what is this Northwestern business? But then since then 21, 20 over Iowa, 21, 13 over a bad Nebraska team, 27, 20 over meh Purdue team, 17, seven over a Wisconsin team that looked really good. Week one missed a bunch of games, be a bad Michigan team. And then Northwestern looked really sloppy in that game. Like, I don't think Northwestern 
is a top 10 team. And I don't think, you know, and I, I just don't see it with them. And so I have to take the, you know, I, you know, I just got to take the, um, the Michigan state Spartans to cover on this one. It should be if with how bad Michigan state has been, if Northwestern was a legitimate top 10 team, they would be in at least a 17 point favorite in this game. I agree. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, so if so, that's look, so. Have you, are you calculating what our three-team parlay here is? If you yeah, so lines? what we said: Maryland, Michigan State, and South Carolina. Where is it? Where is it? And do a hundred-dollar bet. You go lay down a hundred dollars on the money line for this Indiana. Team. South Carolina, Michigan State, the Moses Parlay. What's your payout on a hundred bucks? The um I thought I had this timed all perfect for you. Okay. A one hundred dollar bet all that the you would get odds, so your payout would be eighteen thousand eight hundred and fifty-seven dollars. I think I gotta go do it. Listen, if there is a college football God, he will manifest himself this week and college football God, we're stepping across the line, I think here, but a college football God is different from God, God, that he encourages gambling. And so if you have faith in a college football God, and again, I'm really towing a line, then you need to manifest that faith because as we know, faith without works is dead. And you need to go and lay down a hundred bucks on the Moses and he will bless you with this. If it doesn't happen, maybe he doesn't exist. Maybe there is no college football. God, will you, usually you interrupt me when I get into, you know, one of these areas, you're letting me dig and just keep digging and digging and digging. You're going and it's entertaining. And I, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I just, I put five down. Okay. I put five to win nine forty-two. Five. Hey, There's I'm no way. Uh, also, because I don't want to deal with the Bitcoin to actually, you know, got to top up the account and stuff is a pain right now. So I put, you know, I'm not going, I don't, I'm still pre-rich. I don't have the money. To, I'm not going to go. I don't believe my faith is not that it is still okay. not quite a mustard seed in the college football gods, <laughs> but it's been a good episode. I think we're going to have a fun day tomorrow watching all these games. We'll see what happens on Tuesday with the rankings and we will be back on Wednesday uh, with our ranking reactions will, and things real quick. We do need to just address, there were a whole bunch of questions to a tweet that you put out oh, and we yes. didn't get to them. And we did talk to, we did talk, we talked about a lot of them. them. Yeah. Uh, and so without directly addressing them, we did, I think address most of them. We got to more why and on, uh, I gave you my thoughts. You gave me your thoughts on whether we get to a new year six bowl. So I'm not, overly concerned about not directly addressing these questions there was one that we did miss what is the fastest animal on earth now i know that the conventional answer is going to be the cheetah i get it and i, I guess unless maybe are, is there a bird that's faster birds don't count birds aren't real but no i think it is a bird like now nah, birds aren't real that's a that, is, that might as well be a jet that is manufactured by the government to keep their eyes on us at all times. Like birds are not real. 
So, but I want to take this a different view. I know that we, we need to wrap this show up and I know that a cheetah is fast, but if we're looking at like speed per pound, I've got to go with a hippo. I think hippos get to like 40 miles an hour, not for very far, but I think hippos are pretty darn fast and they weigh like three tons. I got to Google this now. How fast is a hippo? Uh, 30 miles an hour, a hippo, a hippo can run 30 miles an hour at 3000 pounds. Okay. So I'm going to go with a hippo. An elephant is also, I think a, a quality answer here. Uh, elephants way more than hippos. I got to Google this too. I was trying to, trying to uh, filibuster, but they're only about 25 miles an hour. So a hippo is actually faster than an elephant. Nobody like you wouldn't be you would be shocked by this. Spend some time watching hippo videos on YouTube. I promise you won't be disappointed. So the cheetah might win in a foot race, but if a hippo weighed what a cheetah weighs, I think a hippo wins. Fair enough. Um, I think the actual answer is like some kind of falcon. Like this bird. I know you said birds don't count, but they get to be like 250 miles an hour. So, okay, so if you believe in birds, then a bird is the answer. Right. If you believe in birds, you know that you are right. And Jeff is getting too far into the why and on business, thinking birds it's been are a weird fake. week, folks. But until Wednesday, let's give them hell. Give them hell.